The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. And again, happy Mother's Day to uh, the women out there that are mothers and grandmothers. And I also would like to say this. Um, I know there are some here in this room, and I'd be remiss not to mention this, that who have always wanted to be a mother. To those in here who have striven to be a mother, and in God's providence and His will, you haven't been able to maybe have children. I know there's a lot in here that also who are mothers and spiritual mothers and spiritual grandmothers to those out there as well. And I would like to say happy Mother's Day to you as well. And I mean that from my heart. And as well as for those in this room who maybe have recently lost a mother in this past year, I pray for the Lord Jesus to comfort and God give you peace this Mother's Day. And it always reminds me of the story of the, of the mom who came to her pastor and she said, Pastor, I'm struggling being able to parent my two boys. One is a die-in-the-wool pessimist and the other one is a pie-in-the-sky optimist and I'm having trouble. And so the pastor says, well, bring them by the church tomorrow and I'll be able to help you. So the mom brings the boys by and he uh, tells the mom, he goes, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put the boy who is the pessimist I'm going to put him in one room with every single toy he could ever imagine or want to have. And in the other, I'm going to, who's the, uh, the optimist, I'm going to uh, put all this hay and stubble and everything that's in a, the, the horse barn into this room. A member of ours has brought in all this trash, and he's going to put that in the room with the optimist. And we're going to see how this is going to instantly cure them of uh, their optimism and just being a pessimist. So they did it. So the pastor walks in the first room, who is the, the, uh, the pessimist, and the little boy's crying on the floor. And he goes, son, what's going on? Why, why are you crying? And he says, pastor, I just know somebody is going to take all my toys away. And I just know that these toys are going to break down. And he just says everything worse that you could possibly say about these toys, this little boy says it. So the pastor runs down the hall to the room where the optimist is. He comes in there, and this little boy is scurrying all over this room, throwing hay and all that nasty stuff left and right over his shoulders. And the pastor says, son, what are you doing? And the little boy goes, pastor, I know there's a horse in here somewhere for me. (laughs) So anyway, but I had to have one zinger in there for you. But no, I know a lot of you mothers in here probably feel that at some place or some time, or you spiritual mothers out there. But this morning, what I want us to look at, though this is a special day, and no matter who has been a mother in your life or you have a dear mother in your life, uh, we look to Scripture to see the role of women, to see their, their roles and responsibilities. And we look at everything through the lens of Scripture because that is our guide for us. And when you, know, when you look at, for example, the role of a woman, let's just take one passage in particular in Titus 2, you see that God's Word is pretty clear, that older women are supposed to disciple younger women, and that there are as even responsibilities that flow out of that. 
And there are other passages as well. We can look to Colossians and Ephesians to see the role of a husband and wife and how they two coexist at the same time according to God's commands. But when you look at really the nit and gritty of a mother and you see the character they are supposed to have, you realize pretty quickly that a mother and as well as a father, a man and a woman, are really pursuing the same godly attributes. You see the command of both a man and a woman to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness. You see that they are supposed to study the Scripture. They are supposed to be evangelizing. They are supposed to pursue righteousness, Christ's righteousness, to be holy. And into those two commands, we see that the role of a man, the role of a woman, are embedded and put together. And this morning, what I want us to look at is, if you have your Bible with you, and I pray you do, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And this morning, what we are going to look at in this brief book, the small book in Colossians, is how Paul writes, for no matter if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a brother, sister, and uncle friend, no matter where God has you, you are called to walk worthy of the Lord to walk worthy of the Lord. This morning, I want us to spend a majority of our time looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 that you see in your Bible, or excuse me, in your program. And this morning, I want us to look at Paul's prayer, that he's wanting the Colossian church to be people who are known to walk worthy, to walk in a Christ-like manner, to be, to be found faithful in the eyes of fellow Christian believers, but also in the midst of a, of a dying and an evil world. The call to walk worthy. And we are going to ask questions along the way together. And yes, you have to go back the old-fashioned way. It's called a pen and a paper. And what you do is it will make contact and it will actually write on that paper. So I know Grant spoils you with outlines, but... I'm going to bring you back to the old days where you have a pen and a pencil, and it'll be good for you, be good for the soul, for you to write down my most eloquent words that you're about to hear. And so it'll be good. But nonetheless, uh, this morning we are going to see how God commands man and woman to walk worthy of the Lord. And it is a high calling, and we need to take heed to this command from Scripture. This morning we're going to look at four points, and we're going to be asking questions along the way of the how and the why of, why, of why we are supposed to walk worthy of the Lord. So four points along the way. And so if you will, if you do have God's Word open, look with me in Colossians chapter 1 and listen along with me starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His, of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Before we go any further, if you will, bow your heads with me and let's ask the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and to teach us this morning as we open up God's Word and study God's Word together. So if you will, bow your heads with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, your Word is eternal truth. And Lord, it is a gift that you have given it to us, written in a means that we can understand it. 
and as well as to apply it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray now that through your word, through reading and walking through Colossians 1, teach us, edify us. Lord, where we are falling short and in sin, convict us. And Father, and through that, that it will encourage us so that we can grow in a Christ-like manner and to walk worthy of the Lord, to grow deeper in our faith and want to please you in every single aspect of our life. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Let me set the stage for us because we are right here in the beginning of Colossians 1. So the background of Colossians is Paul is the author of this letter that you probably see there at the top of your Bible. It's written around 60 AD while Paul is in prison. And Paul is from his ministry in Ephesus that we find in Acts chapter 19 and even through going through Acts chapter 22. He, churches were planted. People came to Christ and all these churches in the surrounding area were planted. And what we know in the, Coloss- the letter to the Colossians is that there is a man named Epirus. And what we know of him is he is faithful. He's found faithful. And this man was, was converted and probably planted this church. But the reason why Paul is writing this letter is because he has received word from his fellow brother Ephraim that there is false teaching in the surrounding area. And not only is it in the surrounding area, but it's also infiltrated the church. So Paul gets word. And so he writes and pens this letter. And what we know of this false teaching is really they are undermining the work of Christ by doing two things. Number one, they are denying the supremacy of Christ. Now what I mean by that is that they are denying that he, is, he fulfills all things, that he is Lord over creation and redemption. The other thing they are denying is his sufficiency. Now when I say sufficiency, what I mean by that is that they denied the work of the cross. They don't believe that Jesus, when he was on the cross and he died and as well as rose again on the third day, that that his atoning sacrifice was for all sin, past, present, and future. So they begin to undercut it. And what they're doing is that through this Gentile and Greco-Roman area in the Lycus Valley, which would be modern-day Turkey, what we find is that they are taking both Greco-Roman and Jewish philosophy, mixing it together to be a mashup of empty philosophy and deceit, as what Paul describes it in Ephesians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 2. And that's the product they are propagating. That's what they're selling to the surrounding area, which is why Paul is writing. And if you look in your Bible, look down with me, you see that there's a greeting and a thanksgiving and prayer. And what Paul is doing through chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 5, it's a long prayer. And this would make every Baptist curdle because this is too long of a prayer. And so that's what he does here. And so he is writing this long prayer for them to see, most importantly, the doctrine of Christ. He's pointing to the Christ of the Bible, the Christ that Paul proclaimed and the one that Epirus believed in as Lord and Savior. This prayer is highly doctrinal, but it's also practically and very helpful and pastorally Christological, wanting them to see Jesus of the Bible. And that's where we are when we come to verse 9 through 14. So if you have a pen and a paper with you, or you can write it down in your bulletin there, let me give you the first point, and we're going to see this in verse 9. Paul prays 
to grow in the knowledge of God, to grow in the knowledge of God. If you look in verse 9, we see here that Paul is praying for them to grow in the knowledge of his will that will give them wisdom and understanding. What you see right out of the gate is Paul is anchoring this knowledge to be anchored in God alone, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, to which they would be able to understand, which was going to be preached in the Colossian church. That's what they're hearing, is the explanation of the Old Testament, but through the lens of Jesus Christ. That's what they would be hearing. And so what Paul is doing is saying, I want you to be anchored in the knowledge of God, the God of the Bible. And that is what Paul is striving for, to grow in the right knowledge of God, not this false knowledge. Because the reality is this, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Do y'all remember that old NBC commercial, The More You Know? Remember that? And there was always a news anchor that would give you some sort of piece of history or famous person, and they would tell you about it. But really the crux of that commercial was for you to have some sort of insight and gain that would then allow you to live a better life because you've now received a a piece of history. Somehow it's going to give you insight on your daily life because knowledge is power. Rarely in this world is ignorance is bliss. And that is why Paul is, is tethering all this knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he has done. And by growing in the knowledge of God, then you're going to be able to have wisdom and understanding. You're going to be able to understand everything in life through the lens of who God is. And so how do we gain this knowledge? How do we do it? Through the Word, through prayer. What he's been praying for in this Thanksgiving and prayer up to verse 9 in chapter 1. The point here that Paul is right in the midst of this prayer is because so many people are listening to these false teachers. These false teachers are saying that if you do this aesthetic lifestyle, if you do these things, then you are going to have a more spiritual life. That's what they're selling. That's what they're trying to tell the believers here. Look with me in Colossians chapter 2. Flip over maybe a page in your Bible or maybe two pages. Colossians 2 starting in verse 16 through 23. This is what Paul is warning them not to follow. So notice what he warns them not to follow. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, this is in verse 16, of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, look at everything through the lens of the gospel. Okay? Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Let me just stop there. Those are the things and a few other items more that the people are, these false teachers are telling. This is how you are to be spiritual. This is what we allow you to be a true Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is this. There are temptations today that we face, that the moment we begin to add similar things like denying ourselves for self-righteous reasons, to be able to live an aesthetic lifestyle, which means that we would deny ourselves and and try to uh, pull away from the world's desires in order for ourselves to somehow gain knowledge, gain insight, or something like that, is the moment we fall into the same temptation and follow the teaching of these false teachers. The moment we begin to be like the tax collector 
and Luke chapter 18 who went into the temple. Remember what he did? He was proud. He wanted everybody to see that he was there praying. Or the moment we don't do what Christ said in Matthew chapter 6 and we don't wash our face when we're fasting, the moment we begin to pursue self-righteousness or legalism is the moment we fall in the trap of following these false teachers. When I was in seminary, my first year of seminary, I was loaded for bear. I was so self-righteous, I loved to argue for the sake of argument because I knew I was the pinnacle of knowledge. And I knew everything in the Bible. So you could come to me as a sensei and I would teach you in the way you should go. And so, but I remember in my self-righteousness, and I mean that wholeheartedly, that I had a seminary professor, one of my mentors in the faith, notice this behavior in me of being self-righteous, ready to come at you with my gospel pistols and shoot anybody down who disagreed with me. And the, this is the two things he asked me. Two things. Number one, can he tell me how your prayer life is? What's your prayer life like? Are you getting away with the Lord just by yourself? And the second thing he asked me is this, what are you studying in your quiet time with the Lord? As soon as he asked me that, the Holy Spirit quickened within my heart and I was convicted. I knew that I was, I was adding something to my faith in order to prove myself right before God. And Paul, he continues to go further with this, this warning here, but also helps us to see that this knowledge is not just something that we need to gain, but he wants us to be filled with it there in verse 9. The idea of filled is to be filled to the brim, the top of the glass, to be controlled. It is a total incompleteness of what that word means. And that will give them spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Paul prays this in other letters that he writes as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. That in every way you enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. We see in Ephesians 1.17 that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. From the beginning of time when man hit this earth, and especially with the fall, we see they have striven for knowledge. Even today, we have so much access to knowledge all because of what? The golden thumbs, our phones. We can search anything in a matter of a split second. What we fill our minds with is always going to show up later in our words and deeds, whether you realize it or not, which is, pa, which is why Paul excuse me, is wanting them to grow in the knowledge of God, to see how glorious, how good our God is, to get, to, for them to be able to see the God of the Bible, not to open up this book and to be able to see a picture of who you are. No, we are opening up this book to see who God is, the God of the Bible. And we do this by growing him in, in in our time in the Word, by prayer and obedience. And then what we see over time as our worldview goes from this to this. Steve Lawson rightly said, a high view of God leads us to a high worship and holy living. But a low view of God leads to trivial worship and low living. It's exactly what takes place. It's exactly what takes place. And sadly, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is a common culprit a common disease in the church today. Let's put a God that we can just put on a shelf and pull out anytime we're in need. Let's be able to put God in, in, in ways and pictures and, and, and in songs and ways that we can relate to him and makes us feel good and, and makes us be able to have some existential feeling and experience. That's not the God of the Bible. 
The God of the Bible is the one who made Isaiah say, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is the God of the Bible who put Moses in the cleft of the rock because he couldn't see his face. And this is the God of the Bible who also by his grace has brought us into relationship with him all because of Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Which then leads us naturally to our second point. Look with me in verse 10. Write this down. By having the right knowledge of God then drives us to walk worthy. The knowledge of God drives us to walk worthy. So now we're able to ask this why question. Why? Why this knowledge? So that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because of your faith in Christ, because you're growing in the knowledge of God, there's going to be a direct outflow of this faith and knowledge. Has to be. As you guys know, I was a former banker for many years and worked in finance even before then. And my, my mind, I think like an Excel formula. Now, I know when I say Excel to a lot of you guys, I can see like the rashes coming out of your mind, of your neck. But I think like an Excel formula. And you know when you work Excel, you have to have the right information in the right columns and as well as the right formula to pull from those columns to give you the equation, the outcome that you want. And what Paul is pointing to us in his own Excel formula is because of your faith, plus that you are growing in the knowledge of God, now you're able to walk worthy. That's the formula that we see here. And they are to walk in a particular way, a worthy way. In the Greek, if you're going to write this down, it, to walk worthy means suitably, to bring balance. It, it gives us the idea and the picture of the balancing of two sides, of a scale to which thing, two things bring it into balance. Walking worthy, when you look at the New Testament, is found over six times. Six times. Five of them, guess who uses them the most? Paul. Paul does. He's guilty of it. But let me give you one just for, just for free. I didn't, but, the God, but God did. For you to see in 3 John chapter 1, verse 6, you do well to send them on your way, and a manner worthy of God. Ephesians 4.1, probably the one that maybe some of you have memorized before. I know I did in Bible drill. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4.1. And look with me in verse 10. The anchor, the tether to all this is of the Lord. The standard, the plumb line, the, the, the direction to go north is in Christ. The Christological focus that Paul has not been to relent from, there is our standard to walk. He is the direction. It is through his righteousness that we are able to walk worthy. We see Christ, we see his life, and that is the direction that we are to head. And we see further, Paul writes that this standard, this plumb line of the righteousness of Christ, it is not a burden, but it's an honor to walk this way. Look in verse 10 fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. This is the aim. Pleasing the Lord with how we live. Honoring the Lord with how we live. And Paul continues to expound on this by using a phrase, and he says in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. So how is fully pleasing to him connected this, to this idea of bearing fruit? Well, I think it's two ways. Number one, we see often through Scripture agricultural references to spiritual growth. We see them most of the time tied hand in hand. But what Paul is saying here in verse 10 is it's two things. Number one, 
that the gospel is going forth worldwide. It's the Great Commission. Remember in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell would not prevail against the message of Christ. So that's what he's talking about on one side of the coin. The other side he's talking about is for the Christian to grow in sanctification. That's what's going to bear fruit. Your life, if you are a Christian, you are going to be made more in the image of Christ. You're going to grow in holiness, and therefore along the long, long life's path, you are going to grow in righteousness. Your life's going to change, as what he is saying here. You're going to bear fruit in every good way, and these are the steps to do it. Pleasing the Lord is always connected to obedience. And when we obey the Lord, we are living a life that is fully pleasing to him. And again, we can feel and see Paul's warning here right in the middle of it. And he says right here, there's a line in the sand between what these false teachers are are selling by this man-centered aesthetic life and philosophy versus growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in him produces good fruit, not self-righteous fruit. Good fruit that is anchored in eternal truth of who God is. Because you want to do it. You live your life to please him and to obey him. And that's the key word we need to see, ladies and gentlemen. That word, obedience. Say it with me out loud. Obedience. Obedience. So often in the Christian world, we're lacking that. We can study God's word. We can pray. But are you truly obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you taking the words of this holy book and applying it to your daily life and striving ahead to grow more in the image of Christ, to live a life fully pleasing to Him? I ask that in all sincerity because so often when I talk to men and women and I talk to people who are struggling in their life, and don't get me wrong, this world is not easy, but if you, are, you feel like you're just in a, in a constant stalemate, when I'm talk, if I'm talking to you and asking those diagnostic questions, why do you feel this way? A lot of times, it's connected back to obedience. People often specifically struggle with assurance. Why? Are you obeying the Lord? Are you striving to walk worthy of the Lord? There's always a connection there. Now listen, I'm not coming at you to push you into legalism or to pursue some man-made centered philosophy like these false teachers are. No, I'm not doing that. But there is a call to obey the commands of Christ. And so often, when I begin to talk to people and they're struggling with their faith, I begin to ask the question that the seminary professor asked me. How's your prayer life? What are you reading in God's Word? Tell me, where is the Lord working in your life today? What's he been convicting you of lately? Those are hard questions. But they're good and godly questions for us to be able to strive together as a community of believers and to go about in this world to be salt and light and to live a life that is fully pleasing to him. And the question you need to ask yourselves is verses 9 and 10. Are you growing in the knowledge of God? And at the outflow of that, are you living a life that is pleasing to Him? Are you walking worthy? Those are hard questions. But something that we 
need to ask today. No matter if you're a mother, if you're a father, you're a friend, your brother or sister, you're single, you're a teenager, you need to ask these questions. John Kitchen, a biblical commentator, said, true believers rest, never rest in yesterday's harvest of righteousness, but press forward for continued growth in Christ. Continued growth in Christ. And that is what we to strive for. God's grace and mercy is always there every single moment, as long as it is called today to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Never forget that. Never forget that. Which naturally leads us to our third point. And you can write this down as we look at verses 11 and 12. Our third point, God will give us the power to walk worthy of the Lord. So by having the right knowledge of God, then allows us to walk worthy of the Lord. And now how are we going to do this? This is the how question we need to ask. How are we going to do this? By the power of God. If you see there in verse 11 and 12, by being strengthened, Paul says, with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There in verse 11. It is the power of God that's going to give us the ability to be able to do this. You know, the ultimate manifestation of God's power and glory was found in Christ's resurrection and his ascension. And he, when, he's, when Christ ascended, he came and, and sat at the right hand of God the Father, a place of authority which he is sitting there now. That's the ultimate picture that we see there. But because when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he rose again from the dead, I want you to catch this. And we know and we believe that he is alive and it's seated at the right hand of God the Father. We can believe in that all because of faith. And as soon as we do, that instant, that moment, we are guaranteed to have God's power to help us to walk worthy of the Lord. We don't have a solo faith. We are not a man on an island. So often we are so quick to think, how in the world am I going to do this? How am I going to stop maybe a habit in your life? Maybe you have a struggle with lying. Maybe you are having a, a family situation that's bringing you much strife and anger. Maybe there's financial stress on your life, anxieties and worries that can continue to top on one or the other. You begin to ask those questions and more, and you think, how am I going to be able to get through this by the power of God? That's how we are going to do it. We are not left to ourselves. I want you to see a better glimpse of this. If, if you will, flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And look with me, starting in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 1, I'm going to actually start back in verse 16. I do not cease to, cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Sound familiar? We just read that. In Colossians, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, where the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Sound familiar? Say yes, Kenny. Verse, yeah, verse 19, I want to make sure you're still with me. Verse 19, look what Paul says. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I'll stop there. You can turn back to Colossians. You see the power of God given to us all because of our inheritance in Christ. God will give us the help. And he will also give us the help through the means of the helper, the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said in, in John, I'm not going to leave you alone. The helper is going to come, the power of the Holy Spirit. One biblical commentator said, God grants his power for his purposes, not ours. So we need to be reminded of this truth. Never forget the power of God, and that will enable us to walk and to grow in holiness. We're not left to ourselves. And this is so far from the truth. Because when you realize what the false teachers that Paul is warning against and what they are trying to, to sell and to be able to say, if you do these things, you'll be able to be spiritual, it's man-centered. It's dead theology. And when you realize that, the, that you had the power of God all because of Christ versus self-gratifying and man-made concoctions, that you and I both know will never satisfy and will never get us even an inch down the road besides wasting time? What a comparison. And the question I'd like to ask you, you can say to yourself personally, which one would you rather have? The power of God Almighty? Or I'm going to deny myself by not eating this certain food? Or I'm going to have a specific vision that's going to give me better insight over in this world. Which, by the way, the visions that they are talking about is just normal day-to-day vision, experiences, that then you're able to dictate life. I don't know about you, if I receive a vision at even on the 440, that would make me go, I don't want that. It's a bad vision. But we see here the power of God, all because of our inheritance. And that's what he says in verse 11. Our inheritance of Christ gives us the ability to walk in this fallen world. Look what he says there in verse 11. By being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. What is Paul saying there towards the end? Endurance and patience with joy. He's talking about being able to go through the trials and the sufferings of life. You're able to endure. You're, all, you're able to be patient all because Jesus endured, all because Jesus is patient with us. His kindness leads us to repentance. He is long-suffering towards us even now. And through the lens of Christ, you are able to go through the trials and the struggles of this world. And these three words are very familiar to us in Paul's ministry. In fact, again, a little word study for you. Of the 14 uses of the word endurance, Paul uses them 10 times. Of the 89 times of the word patience in the New Testament, Paul uses them the majority of the time. Look at Paul's own life. You remember in Acts chapter 16, when Paul was in the Philippian jail, what he, did he do? Singing. Singing hymns in the midst of his imprisonment. How does Paul say you combat anxiety? With rejoicing and what? You better know your Bible. Thanksgiving. Prayer. That's how he tells you to do it. Where was the strength of the Lord found? In the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord was his strength. 
we are able to face so many problems in this world and the sufferings that life throws at us when we we begin to have a bigger view of who God is. When you realize, as Grant expounded for us in John chapter 10, that God saves you before the foundation of the world, that humbles you pretty quickly, doesn't it? Because you realize your faith is nothing of your own doing. It is truly a gift of God. And it humbles you. And it also makes you strive deeper and deeper to want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we see how big, how glorious and sovereign and just and loving and forgiving and good our God is. We'll be able to endure. We'll be able to be patient. And we will do it with joy. That's why Paul, Peter says in Second Peter, that when people ask you, especially when you're going through sufferings, of why are you acting this way? Why is your life structured and you seem to have joy? What's he say? It's the hope that is laid up before you. It's the hope of Christ that helps you be able to push through. A lot of you in here know that a number of years ago, I lost my sister and my mom back to back, and it just it ravaged me. And I, just to be honest with you, I struggled with anxiety on a tremendous level. And I tell you this because I needed some help to get through. And the, my mentor and the faith that helped me get through it was, he said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to write down every single thing you see in the Bible. I don't care what it is. God created a blue sky, you write down a blue sky. God put birds in the heaven, you write down birds in the heaven. And let's just go over it next time we meet. And we did. But you know what he was doing? Is he was getting eyes off of myself and pointing my eyes to a truly and holy and good God. Was it easy? No. Was there a lot of pain and crying? You better believe it. But over time, what I realized was happening was I was able to see how good and sovereign and just the Lord Jesus Christ was for me. And no matter the anxiety that was coming and blowing at me left and right, I was able to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I remember the words of Isaiah, you are precious and you are honored in my eyes because I love you. What tender words from God. Because you are precious and honored in my eyes and I love you. You can't get any better than that. When you move into verse 12, we see, again, this qualifier of how we are called to walk worthy. And he calls us saints and light. Saints and light. It's an exciting way to be described. Pretty bright, so to speak. And why are we saints and light? It's because of our inheritance. The Greek word kaleo means lot, means portion, means to share. This word is often associated there that we see in verse 12 with Israel as they inherited the promised land. But the Colossians, they are Gentiles in the Lycus Valley. But what Paul is expounding on here in verse 12 is for them to see even though they are Gentile Christians, they can share in the inheritance God gave Israel. Why? Because of faith. What justified Abraham? Faith. Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Romans chapter 3, 24 and 26, and you are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Through faith in Christ, we are justified and we are called saints and light, which then leads us to our fourth and final point. Verses 13 and 14. Because of our salvation, we can walk worthy of the Lord. This is the big picture. This is the how and the what and the why. This all comes together right here in verse 13 and 14. Because of our salvation, because of our inheritance of Christ, we can walk worthy of the Lord. Recently, I was watching a 60 Minutes documentary, and it was explaining the uh, massive library in Germany that housed thousands, if not millions, of documents from uh, the Nazis. And in this multi-story building, uh, this CBS news anchor was highlighting documents just regarding the the prison camps and what they did. It was kind of hard to watch. But throughout the segment, this news anchor brought three Jewish men who survived a concentration camp. And here's what was fascinating to me. The news anchor was showing them uh, documents that they had signed at one point to go into these concentration camps or to go into these work camps. And one man caught my attention. One man caught my attention. It's because the commentator showed him a piece of paper with a list that looked like legal-sized paper top to bottom with men's and women's names on there. And it was a transfer letter to a prison camp called Dachau. And if you know anything about World War II, it was a horrific concentration camp of just nothing but genocide. I'll say, I'll say that lightly, okay? But there were two names crossed out on this list, and that man was one of them. And you could feel it in this segment that this man... Even though the news anchor didn't have to say anything, he knew what he was saved from, death. Because, as the news anchor said, basically, and I even hate to say the statistic, but over 90% of the people that went to Dachau died, tragically, by the hands of these Nazi, just horrible people. But this man knew he was saved. And he sat back, sort of crying. And before the news anchor could even say it, the Jewish man even said it. We know, of course, by the providence of God that man was saved. But he realized what he was saved from. And in verses 13 and 14, this is a reminder of what we have been saved from. Look what he says in verse 13. Look at this beautiful message of hope, Christian. Verse 13, he, he's anchoring everything back in verse 12, the Father. The Father is the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has rescued us, taking us from, from authority and the power of the prince of darkness, Satan, to a life, from a life of living in sin. It, talks, it describes here a state of darkness of the unsaved. Left to ourselves, we love the darkness, according to John 3.19. And we walk in darkness before Christ in John 8.12. But thanks be to God the Father, who what? Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Look what we have been saved from and brought into. The Father has removed us 
from the domain and darkness to the kingdom of light. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What a message of hope, isn't it? All because of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, there are some of you in here today to, to be reminded of that. But also, Christian, that should be our daily reminder that what we have been delivered from. And then Paul says, towards the tail end here of this prayer, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Deliverance from the domain of darkness. And by that, by the Father, we have been redeemed. And that is why we are called the saints in light. And that is why we're able to walk worthy because we have power from God himself to walk this way. And it all starts because we have the knowledge, we are filling our minds with the knowledge of the triune God. And that's why we're able to live a life fully pleasing to him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to close with this. The call to walk worthy is not a daunting task. It's not a daunting task. It may seem to be, but if I can do it, you can do it. And we are not left to ourselves. We have the power of God, all because of Christ. We can walk in this dark world, all because of Christ. And this is what matters at the end of the day, a life with purpose that is fully pleasing to him. The world does not need another self-absorbed person who craves man-centered religion. We don't need that. We got plenty of that out there, okay? Just look in the news, drive on the highway. We don't need any of that. No, we need mothers who are going to walk according to the Word of God. We need fathers to stand up and be men and act like men and to walk in obedience to the Word of God. We need brothers. We need sisters. We need friends. We need you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because this is what the world needs. This is what will advance the kingdom of God. And by the way, this is what's going to help us build, continue to build, a healthier, healthier capital community church. You know why God is blessing us? You know why? Yes, it's through magnificent preaching like mine. <laughs> Grant's not here, okay? Don't email me. But... Yes, it's through the preaching of God's Word. Yes, it's through singing the right songs. Yes, it's through the kids' ministry, the student ministry, teaching Bible. Yes, it's through our adult life classes teaching the Bible. But it's because you are being obedient to the commands of Christ. And that's, why, that's what makes capital unique. So ladies and gentlemen, mothers, take heed to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called living a life fully pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, help us, help us, I pray, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Father, I know there's so many people in this room that are struggling every single day right now because of just living the effects of living in a fallen world. Maybe, Lord, there are some in here who are pursuing 
self-righteous deeds and actions. Maybe there are people in here who are adding things to the life to make him be more spiritual. Father, regardless, help us to take the high calling to walk according to and in obedience to the commands of Scripture. Father, I pray that if there's someone in here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, who wants to walk this way, but doesn't know how, I pray that, Lord, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ right now. I pray, Lord, for the, P- the members in here at Capitol. Help us to be the members of Christ's church. Help us to be men and women, children, students, college students, married, single, widowed, hurting, joyful, Christians, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, so that, Father, that our life will give you honor. So, Father, I pray, let your word do the work. Teach us now. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.